0: God's Word for today from 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5. Uh, I'll explain a little bit more in the sermon why this is an excellent text of Scripture as we have Christmas on our minds. You don't really hear Christmas mentioned specifically in it, but it has a lot to do with how we celebrate and the true meaning of Christmas. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. Rejoice always, pray continually, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and will do it. This is the word of the Lord. So who is your Grinch? You know that ugly, sinister, grumpy villain guy in the Dr. Who, Dr. Seuss story about the Who's in Whoville and the Grinch steals their Christmas? Who's your Grinch? I mean, he's everywhere this time of year. I think you saw him this last week. Who or what ruins Christmas for you? Is it your boss or being the boss? Is it Burning a turkey in the oven. Maybe it's uh, the, uh, hmm, the things go haywire at the company Christmas party, or you're not invited to the company Christmas party. Maybe there's uh, too many people at the mall. There's just way too much traffic. Uh, I mean, this yesterday was crazy, right? Cars everywhere. Or there's too little time to do what you really need to do for the season you're you're lonely you're missing that special someone especially at at holiday times and you wish they were here and they're not who's your grinch what's your grinch but you name it what what can rob you of the christmas joy and and ruin things for you tell you what i'm that being said, I am so glad I read recently about a group that is going after Grinches in our society, in our world. I mean, I, I'm, I'm so glad this is happening. Um, there's a group of, of well-meaning, I assume they're Christians, who are picking a fight with, gri- with Grinches all over our country, and they are suing radio stations who refuse to play Christmas music. They're suing school districts who refuse to allow manger scenes to be put in their lobbies or their front lawn. They're suing Christmas card companies who, like, who prefer to print, uh, print Happy Holidays and will not print Merry Christmas. I am so glad finally someone is picking this battle. So here's kind of what that scene looks like. Hey, you there, Grinch. Yeah, I'm talking to you. You need to have the Christmas joy like I have, right? It's a time to be happy. Yeah, so get the Christmas joy and be, be in the meaning of Christmas like I am. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you, you Grinches. Yeah, Chris, I said it, Christmas, Christ, right? In Christmas, not this happy holidays trash. No, I have the joy of the season. I know the reason for the season. I, I believe in Jesus. You better too. So I'm going to punch you in the face of the lawsuit. Who's the Grinch now? How that happens to me. And I think it happens to you too. So we're going to look into Thessalonians, the, the, the first letter to the Thessalonians today, and let it help us a little bit. Um, not be Grinches, not let Grinches ruin our Christmas, and settle in today and with greater appreciation. And joy and thanks for what Christmas is all about. So, in the Bible, there's two books of the Bible that are epistles or letters to the the Christians in Thessalonica. They're called Thessalonians. There's First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians. They're little short books of the Bible in the New Testament. Uh, Here's the scene: Um, the Apostle Paul and his helper Silas had brought the gospel message to the people in Thessalonica. And uh, many of them were, were Christians or became Christians, and they formed this group of, of people, a church. And uh, the the people responded like a model congregation. Um, if you want to, uh, at the seminary, when we want to you know, think of the ideal church where we would love to be called someday. We look at the book of Thess- First Thessalonians because it just shows this model church. They responded to the gospel with joy and eagerness, and they searched the scriptures, and they read their Bibles, and they prayed, and they wanted more of it, and they just couldn't get enough of Jesus. And uh, what happened then is the Grinches came onto the scene, and the Grinches were antagonists who didn't believe in Jesus, who denied that Jesus is the Savior in the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And they became antagonists on the scene in that church. Some of them were within the church itself. Some of them came from the outside. And and they became such trouble that they actually threatened the Apostle Paul and Silas. They persecuted them. And Paul and Silas had to flee Thessalonica for their lives. They, They literally threatened the lives of these pastors. And guess what? When Paul and Silas left... Then these antagonists, these Grinches, started persecuting the new believers who were there too. So 1 Thessalonians is then Paul, who had left the scene, sending instructions back to the church in Thessalonica, to the believers there, about these Grinches, about these antagonists. And here's what's interesting. There is no lawsuit. There is no rampage from Pastor Paul naming all of the antagonists and calling them Grinches and telling them what's going to happen to them. There were times in his ministry where he did that, but not not so much here. He doesn't call on these Grinches to change their attitude and change their actions, but this is what's interesting. His response isn't really focused on the Grinch, it's focused on on the attitudes and actions of these believers. He's writing to them in this scene of of the Grinches who can ruin their Christmas. Um, So here's a message. And I say this for your comfort, too. You have more influence over a meaningful, successful, joyful, thankful Christmas in your life than anything else that can influence it. That's the bottom line. That's how Paul writes to these Christians, and he's writing to us too. Uh, Bad health or demanding kids cannot ruin your Christmas unless you allow them to. Credit card debt and rampant commercialism where everybody's frolicking around saying happy holidays can, cannot ruin your Christmas unless you allow it to. Broken relationships, hurt feelings, job stress. Not getting the right Christmas decorations in the right places at the right time, not being able to send the family Christmas letter out like, like you had wanted it, or it's not in the format that you wanted, cannot ruin your Christmas unless you allow it to. Missing that special someone. Or bad Christmas memories. Like a few Christmases ago, he gave the you know, he, he took the engagement ring back or way back in Christmas long ago, Dad got drunk and said he didn't love you. Cannot ruin your Christmas unless you allow it to. Now, we all struggle with this. If, if we're truly honest with ourselves, we struggle with the fact that we allow circumstances and situations and other people to ruin our day, to rob us of joy, even during the Christmas season. And here, let me tell you, while this is important. Here's what that means. This is very critical for our understanding of Jesus and his impact in our lives. The very fact that some things or people or circumstances or situations fester in our hearts and in our souls and make us worry and, and anxious or angry or upset, right? That people or places or things can do that to us and and have the ability to ruin our Christmas, even our Christmas joy, and rob us of peace, means this. It means that we have put them in a place in our hearts where only Jesus belongs. It means that we are looking for them to give us things that only Jesus can give. It means that If we we can't have them, we're not going to be happy. And when we don't have them, then we're not happy. It means that, that, that we struggle too with allowing Grinches to rob us of joy and peace and to ruin our Christmas and our days. We love the gifts more than the giver. We love the creations more than the creator. We need blessings more than the blesser. And we allow Grinches to be Grinches. They're not Grinches by the fact of who they are. They're Grinches by the fact that we allow them to. So here's what matters now. What matters is that we just come clean and confess that we struggle with this. That we come to Jesus and say, I'm going to be honest and say that, Jesus, you're not always the reason for the season. I know you are, I believe you are. I want you to be more in in my life and in my heart. I want you to be bigger, but honestly Jesus, I sometimes look to things instead of you. And when I don't get them, I struggle and I'm sad and I'm not happy. And so, here's what we need to understand. The best way for us to celebrate Christmas is not not to reform all the Grinches, right? Not, not to reform others and look out there, but to repent and reform ourselves, to look into our own hearts. And, and stop worrying so much about people who say happy holidays. <laughs> In the line at the post office, lady next to me is complaining that there's no postage stamps that say Merry Christmas. How could our... our our country, and on our money it says in God we trust, and our postal service is, a, is part of our country, and they can't print stamps that have Merry Christmas on that, and I'm kind of just joining in her tirade a little bit, saying, yeah, I mean, I think, I'm thinking, well, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm a pastor, I should probably, you know, uh, join in that conversation too to make it known that I, I believe in the joy of Christmas. I think I missed an opportunity there. To say, you know, if I need to rely on a postage stamp to give me a, a good Christmas, I think I'm hurting there, ma'am, and, and just, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but you are too. If that's what you need to get you through the post office and walking out with a smile on your face... I tell you what there's something better than that. There is someone better than that. And he can't be stolen, he can't be compromised, he can't be corrupted. And no matter how people react or what they do or say, they can't steal him from you. And his name is Jesus. And and that's what Christmas is about. He comes to you. Like he came into into Bethlehem, this little this unknown little town and and, peop- and we did nothing to bring him, and yet he, on his own, decides to come to us and to our planet to save us from our sins, to give us meaning and hope and purpose. So Merry Christmas, and you, ma'am, don't don't go worrying about your postage stamp. You get the ones that you you want. Get get flags or or nineteen fifty Chevrolet trucks or something on your postage stamp, and be happy because. Jesus is all over that, and he, and he comes to you, and he, he's born again in Christmas in your heart, and he's everything that Christmas is. Nothing can take that away. I, uh, yeah, I hope I see her again, and I wish I had said that, um, and when he is our all, right? When Christmas, it's even in the name and when he is our all, and we do look to him for everything, we don't allow other things to take our joy and, and rob us and ruin us, then that means something. Then that means that as Christians, there are things that we believe and that we do. It makes a difference. It, it puts me in line at the post office in a good mood, ready to witness my faith. Paul lists eight things here in this little section in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, some of the shortest verses in the Bible. Rejoice always, bam, done. Pray continually, bam, done. He lists eight things. So, here's the thing: Do you need another list at Christmas time? I don't. I I have like a list right now of all my lists. And there's a shopping list, and there's the to-do at home list, and there's get this ready for Christmas list, and there's the contact these people list, and there's put this in our family Christmas letter list, and. And now I get a list from God, too? And, and God says this list. This is, he says, Pastor, these are not suggestions. These are not options for you, like the settings on your phone. These are, this is my will for you. This is what you do as a Christian who loves Jesus and celebrates Christmas. Here it is. And now, I just got to be honest, it can feel overwhelming. Here's the things I want you to do. Thanks, God, for adding to my overwhelmingness. You know, doesn't it sometimes feel like there's just so many things to do? And if you try to do them all, you feel like you're not doing any of them well. Again, because of the hustle and bustle of the season, Christmas can be a time where we really feel like that. So here's what I want to do. I want you to see in these words, we're going to look at them now, specifically from 1 Thessalonians 5. And this is for your encouragement. These aren't just commands. All right, what do we believe here at Holy Word? We believe God never gives us a command without giving us a promise to go along with. That very command. God never says, here's what I want you to do, boots us out the door, slams it shut, and says, "Now you better do it right before you come back. God says, here's what I want you to do, and here's what I'm giving you So that you can do it. There's a promise from God in these verses, and there's actually a prayer from Paul, and they combine very powerfully to tell us this You are entirely equipped by God to do anything that He asks you to do. You are always encouraged by God and by your Savior Jesus to do exactly what He says that you must do. This is like Jesus telling Peter to walk on the water. If you're Peter, you say, okay, and you step out of the boat and you're walking on water. It's like Jesus telling Lazarus, rise from the dead. This is a dead man. I don't know how he heard that. But he became alive and walked out of the, of the grave. See, I I I can't bring everything to the table to do what God wants me to do. I just can't. I don't have it in me. But God puts it on the table for me to do what he wants me to do. That helps it not be so overwhelming. All right, here's a promise. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. The one who calls... Bill... Alan, Susan, Michelle, Eric, Mark. God calls you, you people I just mentioned, he calls you to things he doesn't call me to. And he calls me to things he doesn't call you to. And he calls some of you to things that others of you he doesn't call to. Some of of us have similarities. God calls Bill and me to be dads and husbands. We're similar there. but we also have different callings. Each of us has a unique set of callings that God gives to us. And when God, God gives you your callings, your responsibilities, your roles in this world, it could be to be a friend. It could be to be a neighbor. To your, God calls you to be a neighbor to your neighbors in ways that he doesn't call me to be a neighbor to your neighbors. But he calls me to be a neighbor to my neighbors. I'm talking to the people who live immediately around my house. They doesn't call you to. I'm more, I'm, my calling is more specific to them because I, I see them and I interact with them parent, child, friend. These are callings from God. And he calls each of us individually. So own it. Your calling is yours, not mine, not someone else's. He, God gives you the calling, and it's a special one because he knows your gifts and your circumstances, and, and, and he gives you this calling. And then he says, you can do it. What I'm asking you to do, I know it's hard being a wife to that man. And I know it's getting harder every year, but I'm calling you to do it and do it well. You can do it. I know it's hard being a teenager. It's just so frustrating, God says, but I'm calling you to be a teenager. You can't skip ages 13 to 19. I'm sorry. I'm calling you to be a teenager. Let's do it. Those are, these are our callings from God, all right? They're multi, multi-varied. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. So here's the deal. Your callings apply to you and no one else. They're yours to own and no one else. You are responsible for them and no one else except one. Except God. Right, right here it says it. The one who calls you... He's giving you an assignment, is faithful, and he will do it. Well, whose job is it, God? Is it yours or is it mine? The answer is yes, yes. God doesn't call you to die on a cross for your sins. God doesn't call you to save the world by an atoning sacrifice. God doesn't call you to to leave heavenly glory as God himself and come to this earth and forgive people by dying for them. God doesn't call you to do that. that. God called his son Jesus to do that. That's not your job, but God does call you to respond to that. God does call you to live for him, to obey him, to fulfill your roles, but he doesn't Kick you out the door, slam it shut, and say, You better do a good job or else. But he goes with you. He's the one, he's faithful and he will do it. Um, I love the end of Ephesians 2. We, we normally, we know verses 8 and 9, right? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. But man, I love verse 10. For we are God's handiwork or workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. God don't make no junk. That's what a seminary professor used to say to us. He was a linguist, so it's funny to hear him use bad grammar, but that was kind of the point, right? God don't make no junk. I remember that to this day. God made you in Christ Jesus. You You ain't junk. He calls you to do it. You can do it because he's faithful. Um, speaking of school professors, I, I always loved, my favorite form of a test was an open notes test. Probably because, well, for it is what it is, but not all of my classmates liked open notes tests because not all of them took notes. But I would, I'm just a voracious note taker. I'm like, I may as well be writing something worthwhile down while my professor is speaking. I may need it someday and... And then wham! He's like, uh, okay, we're going to take a test. And uh, he says it's open notes. And immediately I have 18 friends in the classroom. Uh, But, you know, just a concept in general, right? An open notes test? Wow, isn't that an automatic A plus? Well, if you have good notes, it is. Otherwise you're guessing. But what do those notes give you, right? Think of this process. You are putting into your notes... Uh, Sorry, I'm old-fashioned. I'm this way. It's probably this way, right? You're putting into your notes knowledge you don't have that the teacher or, or by class research, you gain. It's not yours natively. You don't know this, but now you put it in your notes. And now you have it, but you may not remember it. And you put this in, and you're right, you put wisdom that you can't figure out on your own, and you get this in your notes. And then the test comes, and, ah, I don't, I haven't quite grasped it all yet. I can't bring it all back into the file folder of my brain to spit it out. I, I, if I didn't have my notes, yeah, C minus, maybe B minus. But with those notes, Jesus is your open notes. Jesus gives you this assignment and you say, I, okay, Jesus, I'll I'll walk on water, but last time I checked people sink jesus i'm I'm a little confused here you, you you want me to befriend my neighbor who is a homosexual i i don't i don't i don't get i don't know how to do you you want me to be kind to an enemy ah ah uh, how Jesus, how do I open your notes? Open your notes and find me in the scriptures, in the word of God, and I will be your A+. I will give you everything you need, everything you need to know, which isn't everything you could ever possibly know, but everything you need for that. I will give you everything you need. I am faithful. I will love your neighbor who is a homosexual. I will love your enemies and forgive them. And we'll do it together. Open notes, A+. That's what that looks like. So that's why Paul prays, uh, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, To sanctify means to set apart as special. So all believers, all followers of Jesus are sanctified. We're set apart from the world out there, the society, the unbelieving world. We're set apart from them as special as believers. And so that's when the Bible says God's sanctifying you. Now he's taking you as someone who's set apart as special and making things even more special, and and engaging in this process of us following, and even to the point of being, look at that, blameless. All that means, it doesn't mean that I always act perfectly. It does mean, this is what God thinks of me. This is who God has made me to be. That he looks at what I do in all my callings, husband, friend, friend, son, dad, pastor, Harley rider. Well, that, that, I chose that, but I'll bring God along. All my callings, God looks at me and he says, wow, <laughs> brings the angels over. Hey, check, check Darren, look at him. Look at him being a pastor. Oh, wow, he's an awesome pastor. That's an A plus job, right? You look at me and say, mm, A minus, mm-hmm. C plus. Okay, that's okay. God, blameless. He looks at you as a parent, struggling to raise your kids, and you know you're not getting it right. And he says, great job, A plus. You're, you're doing just fine. We know we failed, but in his eyes of forgiveness, in his eyes of mercy, God says you are blameless all the way up to the coming, the final coming of Jesus Christ and into eternity. Not, so not just when we're in heaven, but now. Live like the person you will be in heaven. Trust Jesus, let him be your notes, let him guide you, and he's faithful and he'll do it. All right, a couple final verses I want to cover before we go. And there's these short verses here, these, these phrases. So rejoice always. Uh, Do you find that to be a struggle? I think some people are wired to be more happy, go-lucky kind of people, but not all of us are wired in that way. Uh, So I have to work sometimes to be joyful and happy. That doesn't mean that it's not joy when you have to work at it. It just comes more naturally for some of you and others of us work at it. Either way is fine. But how how do you rejoice more? How do you practice more joy in your life? Christmas helps. Here's the answer. Um, When I was a kid, after a few years, we figured out how my mom and dad did it, how they got us Christmas presents. There were kind of the normal presents, a sweater, um, some Legos, kind of ones ones that you wouldn't, you know, go to your friend's house and say, guess what I got for Christmas? This is all, right? Just normal gifts. You're thankful, but it wasn't the, the big kahuna. But as kids, we always got one big kahuna gift. I mean, sometimes these boxes were bigger than we were, depending on what it was. Uh, um, Taller, there was always the one big gift, and then all the other gifts, too. And, of course, what did we tend to focus on then as Christmases came and went, and year after year... Um, the regular gifts, okay, that was great, but where's the big one? Right. And the big one was ours at the end, and it was it came in, dad went out to the garage and brought it in, or down from the attic, or somehow we couldn't see it ahead of time, and oh, there was the big one, and angels were singing, and Christmas music was playing, and life was good, and you open the big kahuna and it just changes your world. I got a set of water skis one year, and it's just oh it just changed everything for a kid. And and the big gift made all the other little gifts, made you happy about, you're just happy about everything because of the big gift. You're happy about all those other gifts. You didn't look at them and go, oh, that's nothing. It was just a great Christmas because of the big gift. So when Jesus is your big gift, you're happy about everything. That's how you rejoice always. Pray continually. Where's the promise in there? I want to teach you to look for the promise in these things and not just always see God's commands. Where's the promise? That's a command. I get it. You see the promise and pray continually? It's in the word pray. This is God, through the Apostle Paul, telling us believers, people of the word, come to me and tell me things. Come to me and ask me things. Come to me, I am listening. There's the promise. And continually, God doesn't say, come to me on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays when I'm in the office between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. When you're on your bed at night and you can't sleep, God says, pray. When you're at the doctor's office waiting for test results with a tear in your eye, God says, pray. When you gather before the meal and your family is sitting next to you and you hold hands and love each other, and God says, pray. When you're at church, God says, pray. When you're sitting at a red light, God says, pray. All the time. There's a promise in that word. Finally, give thanks in all circumstances. Um, who do you give thanks for? I think you you tend to give thanks for people who do things for you, who give things to you. Um, So God says, give thanks in all circumstances. God says, you can always give thanks to me because I'm always doing something. I'm always at work in every circumstance, every situation. I'm at work. I'm always doing something. I'm always giving you things. Give thanks in all circumstances. Even messy ones. Think of the original Christmas, when Jesus was born, and think how messy the circumstances were in that that story. Right? Joseph and Mary were, well, first of all, right, having a child out of wedlock, and Joseph wasn't the real father, and all of a sudden he's the leader of this this blended family, uh, and and then they're preparing the place in Nazareth and get called to Bethlehem, and then there's no room in the inn, and and, and, and then dirty, stinky shepherds. All of that Christmas story has mess all over it, has unforeseen, uncontrollable circumstances all over it. And yet, Mary and Joseph rejoiced and gave thanks and had faith because Christians don't allow circumstances to determine our joy and our thanks and our prayers, but Christians influence circumstances by our joy and our thanks and our prayers. That's how to have a good Christmas. Here's some closing words from Dr. Seuss. Every Who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch who lived just north of Whoville did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Now, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be, perhaps, that his shoes were too tight. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. The, the people of Whoville changed that. They changed his heart. They didn't let the lack of Christmas ornaments or presents or trees steal Christmas from them. They gathered around, joined hands, and sang lovely Christmastime songs. They were singing and rejoicing and praying and thanking. He stared down at Whoville. The Grinch popped his eyes. Then he shook. What he saw was a shocking surprise. Every Who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any reason, without any presence at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. There is no Grinch that can steal Christmas from you because Christmas is not a circumstance. It's a Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this message. Thank you for the boldness and courage of the Apostle Paul and Silas as they brought the gospel message to the people in Thessalonica, even sometimes when it wasn't safe. Thanks for. The response of faith in the part of the Thessalonians and for the story that we have in the scriptures, the letter that Paul wrote, and now make us part of that story, dear God. May the message that it brings to us be a message that we take seriously but also lovingly and in appreciating the beauty of your promises and all of your commands. There, we, we each have a list. It might be a mental list. It might be a list on paper of what we want to do and how we can be better people and what what we're looking ahead to in 2018, God, help us to not be overwhelmed or afraid. Help us to see you in it with us and to more consistently practice our faith in you and look for you to be faithful and to do it and to give us our A-plus in Jesus Christ. Amen.